Welcome to a self-published author's diary. I am Elodie Novodatsky. I write about first time, second chances, things that scare the crap out of me and things that make me laugh out loud. I'll be speaking with you and sharing my adventures in self-publishing, the behind the scenes of writing and the business side of it. And before we get started today, a small message from our sponsor, Anchor. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is September 23rd, it's almost 2 p.m. And I'm currently recording this episode from the couch with Plato the dog just sprawled against me. It's raining and Plato is a beagle, which is supposed to be a hunting breed but he doesn't like when the grass is too wet he also doesn't like it when it's too hot outside and he's not a big huge fan of snow <laughs> he basically likes the weather when it's sunny and about 70 degrees so yeah <laughs> he's currently not planning to go for a walk i don't know if i'm going to take him for a walk or not later on if it stops raining probably will and he might You know, he might enjoy like 10 minutes of it and then we'll pull to come back home. So that's so today I am going to talk a little bit about what was difficult about writing The Leftover Bride. I received a question on Instagram. I had added a question box on Instagram about, you know, if anybody had any questions about writing or publishing or specifically um, writing and publishing The Leftover Bride. And so somebody, and by somebody I mean Sam, hi Sam, asked me about what I found the most difficult about writing The Leftover Bride, and I will expand it to publication as well. So what has been the most difficult in writing and publishing, self-publishing The Leftover Bride. Before I start on that, <laughs> I want to give a shout out And a big thank you to El Penelope, Leslie, because, and it's funny, not what she told me, but the fact that my husband had told me the same thing before. And I kind of did not listen to him. But as soon as Leslie reached out, I listened to her. My husband doesn't find it amusing for some reason, but um, Leslie told me that when she was looking for The Leftover Bride, because the title was all attached to the hashtag, that she could not find it on Amazon. So even if she was writing The Leftover Bride, you know, separate, even if she was looking for The Leftover Bride, Elodie at the time, like it was not showing up, which is not something you want to do or to have happening when you're publishing a book. You want your book to be available. And when people look for it, they find it. And... As I said, the chemical engineer told me maybe a few days before publications, like, hey, it's not popping up. And I kind of did not listen to him. But then when I got the message from Leslie, I double checked. And yeah, indeed, like it was not, nothing was showing up. It was only showing up if you were putting the hashtag followed by the leftover bride all attached to the, to the hashtag. And so what I did is that I basically renamed the Kindle, so the title of the Kindle, 
and detached it so it's hashtag like the um, pound sign and then the space leftover space bride since my paperback still has it all attached it's easy to now find them both like if you're doing it all attached you can find it and if you're doing it separately with my name then you can also then you can also find it so that's that's basically <laughs> a little a little tip from not me but from Leslie and the chemical engineer to you about making sure that you look for your title before publishing it because you can change your Kindle title before publication, after publication, as long as you don't... I, th I don't know if, you, if there are rules around it. I would have to double check. I've never really changed. The only title that I did change and I was able to get my reviews back was in French because my French publisher... As I've mentioned, I'm traditionally published in French for three of my titles that got picked up by a French publisher after I had already um, published them in French. And they changed the title of one, two, three. It became Live, Love, Dance. And so I had to link the Kindle to that paperback without losing some of the reviews I already had. And I was able to do that. So because again, also the French publisher had the rights to the paperback and I kept my ebooks, ebook rights. So yeah, if you haven't listened to that particular episode, I went into how that happened and in a previous episode of the podcast. So I talked a bit about getting my self-published books into the French speaking markets in episode 19. And in episode eight, the little book that could and keeping track of sales, I also talk about how I got approached by a French publisher to get one of my French translation published with them. Um, and how then I negotiated keeping the ebooks rights and then, which also involved my husband actually for that one. If you don't, if you don't, if you have not listened to it, it was my husband who advised me to ask if I could keep the ebook rights and the publisher agreed. And yeah, so I sold my paperback rights to um, that particular publisher. And that publisher was under the umbrella of a bigger publisher in France. And um, yeah, I had, I had a great experience. I, I got three of my books published with them including one to three in French and that title again um, I had to change it for what it, from what it was to something different because they, they picked a different title for it which is actually a pretty cool title so what has been difficult or what was the most difficult about writing the leftover bride and publishing the leftover bride self-publishing I'm going to For when it comes to writing, what was the hardest part was actually cutting a lot. <laughs> I thought I had the book that was ready and then I sent it to my critic partners and I sent the first half to my critic partners and then my critic partners read it and their, their main focus was you need to condense basically what was going to be the first half of my chapter of my book into what would become the first 15% <laughs> of the 
of my book. So I had to do a lot of cutting and a lot of rearranging and a lot of all of that. So that was, that was, I think, the hardest thing in terms of writing that I had to do. Another difficult part to write is to write intimate scenes because I wanted to make sure that I was adding emotions. It was not only the mechanics of it, it was the emotions and what it meant for both characters. So on a physical level, but also on an emotional level. And so, yeah, I got a few books about how to write those particular parts and how to make them as good as they could be. So yeah, that was that was another part that was maybe more difficult to write for this particular book because it was I had one, you know, one scene that I had done and then I was looking at it and I was like, okay, that got that down, but I needed I needed to be more also emotionally engaging. And so I wanted to really add that particular perspective in addition to, again, the physical, sensual part to it. And even for the mechanical part, I, I still wanted it to be in a certain, like in, in a certain voice. So since like there is one from her perspective and one from his, actually there's more than one from her perspective. And then there is, I think, two-ish from his perspective. <laughs> And then there's maybe three-ish from her perspective. So I, I needed to also work on that particular voice difference. And so, yeah, so I, I did, I bought a few craft books. I studied um, novels like the ones from Tessa Bailey and Nora Roberts and Serena Bowen. I looked at also Andy Christopher's books and I basically kind of had a plethora of books that I kind of read not only as like a reader but also as an author. So that's that's another thing that I've done. And also like for certain books like historical books, like historical romance, Regency romance, they, for example, Tessa, De Tessa Dare and Julia Quinn and Vanessa Riley, and they have, of course, the very intimate, intimate scenes in their books, but they also have the very, you know, the hands touching and those. Things. So I was also trying to like gather that emotion and which is something that I did also in YA quite a bit because it was, you know, like a lot of the, at least a lot of my YA has a lot of that, like, oh, a, a hand touching another or a brush of an arm against like all those things. I also wanted to have them in this book. So that's something I, I paid a lot of attention to. That wasn't hard. That part wasn't actually difficult to do. What was more difficult to do again is the very, very sexy scenes and steamier scenes and how to make sure that they were both engaging, sensual, steamy, sexy, and very emotional. 
and I, yeah, I, I did read quite a few craft books, as I said, and then just read a few books as a writer and not only as an author. In terms of the plot, what was the hardest part was that the motivation of Ryan was a bit murkier in a previous version. And it was something that I was not entirely happy with. And it was one of those things that I think could have, you know, like it was okay. But now I think it's great. I have critic partners that enable, you know, I can ask them questions. I can bounce ideas off of them. I can, <laughs> they're great. And so I talked to them quite a bit about the motivations of Ryan. Sarcast motivations I had from the get-go. The flaw, the character arc, the image that you see at the beginning of the book with the image that you're going to see at the end of the book. And for Ryan, I had it too. I mean, I had the image of the beginning and the end, and I knew part of this, I mean, his internal character arc I had down, but his external character arc was more complicated to me at the beginning and it took me a while to actually be happy with the way that the external arc for Ryan so his character development and and where he comes from the beginning of the book to the end of the book again internally speaking I had it I had it down but I wanted to have something different for the external part so I had him already earlier kind of coming to grips with certain things happening in his life, but then realizing that there's a difference between being thinking you're okay with something until that something actually happens. And I, I don't want to go into too many spoilers, so that's why I'm, I'm not going into a lot of details. But So that was for the external arc and the internal arc. I needed those two to be more linked as well. And that was, you know, when you're plotting and... and Sokka's character was maybe more plotted than Ryan's because, or it's it's not that one was more plotted than the others. I think I was, for Ryan, it was more the discovery on the page as I was writing him was more than Sokka because I think I had Sokka's down also because of her diary, which enabled me to really be in her head even more. Um, because The Leftover Bride has some diary entries that are, you know, throughout the book. And so I think even though I write on from the first person on for both of them, for Sokka and Ryan, those diary entries kind of helped me really nail Sokka's voice and Sokka's arc and Sokka's everything. While for Ryan, his first chapter really helped me nail his voice. Like, I, I think his voice is... I, I really, I'm really happy with both voices in the book. I think they're both different voices. I think they both show their personalities. And, but at the same time, again, going back to that internal and external arc for Sokka, it was pretty clear how both would be intertwined. And, for Ryan, they were intertwined, but the external arc was not as powerful as I wanted it to be until I figured out how to make it as good as what it is now, which I think works much better. So that was that was something that I'm actually trying, and that's something I'm learning from in the sense that right now I'm plotting um, the second book 
in the series, which is Aisling Stories. And I'm using the Save the Cat beat sheet for it. And I am trying to make sure that I have both arcs as clear as I can before starting to write. Instead of just having the, oh, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, and yes, he's going to feel like I am trying to have that more because I think it will save me time in revision. And it could very well be that once I start drafting, which sometimes happens, right? You start draft, you start drafting and you start writing. And then no matter how much you have gone on, on paper in your, beat planning and and your pre-chapter beats and all that stuff sometimes it just goes in a different direction because the character kind of reveals himself or herself on the page at least I found that but it does happen less when I do spend more time thinking about it beforehand I mean, in the past, it has happened that I've written an entire book and I had to like scrap the entire book that doesn't happen anymore did I have again to condense um, a lot of pages into way less pages for rhythm purposes and for like yes it happened with this one but with the leftover bride and I think I've mentioned it before it's been such a like a, a learning another learning experience for me because it's the first book that I've drafted and and the writing muscle, like I, I'm not saying everybody, every writer should write every day and, and this is the way. Like, no, I know everybody has their own ways of, of writing, their own ways, also their own time, their own timing, a lot of things. What I found for me personally is that my, my writing muscle, the way that I, I get better at writing and at is if I do it more often not necessarily every day but like I mean for the leftover bride I was writing every day morning day evening I mean it was it was just again as was eating breathing and sleeping the leftover bride but as I'm as I'm currently plotting a story I'm also doing some extra scenes from Sorka's diary as like a way to promote the book as a way to you know I post them on my blog and it's like a new teaser Tuesday and it's scenes that are not in the book and so those are things that and I'm not going to post a lot of them on my blog some of them are going to go to my newsletter subscribers so those are things that I'm doing which also help me keep that writing muscle going like kind of a warm-up a little bit before I actually start actually drafting a sling story that's what I'm currently doing and it's helping me and I think it's going to help my writing quite a bit so that's I I don't know if it's not an advice it's not it's just for me that's what I found that's what I'm finding is is working um when it comes to the most difficult thing about self-publishing the leftover bride. I think it's again about expectations. The process itself, I was on a time crunch, crunch time, time crunch. I was on a time crunch of my own making because in self-publishing, you're the one who sets the de- dates. So, I mean, it's, and I was so nervous about this book that I did one more step in between, like to make sure everything was fine. I had one more person rereading it 
whom I hired kind of like a cold read to make sure everything was fine. And everything was fine. And I mean, she caught a couple of things, but they were like really tiny, tiny little things. And, you know, as I was, I was rereading and I was doing, it's just like, I was not able to do as much in terms of time of promoting the book before it got published. And I also didn't have as much time as I wanted to gather reviews. So like, I would have like my reviewers to have about, you know, two weeks, three weeks before the book's release to be able to read it and review it and have the first reviews up within the first week of publication. Right now on Amazon, I'm sitting at about five ratings and they're all five stars, which is great. And I'm crossing my fingers to get more after this weekend. Like I'm, I'm trying to remind some people to have the advanced review copies. I'm, I'm trying to remind um, my readers in my Cosinook and in my newsletter that when they have finished reading it, it would be great if they could write a, a review. Like just, it's basically reminders, but it's to try to help the visibility of the book. But I think, you know, my expectations as always is like, oh, it's going to go... <laughs> Even though I know behind like the viral moments of books, there's usually a lot of work that went behind it. So it's not always like, oh my God, I just put it up and then it went viral. Even though that does happen, I'm not saying doesn't, it does happen. It's still very rare. Usually there's a lot of work that happened in the back. Either somebody had, you know, worked on their mailing list before, somebody, it's like actually their sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth book. And it's the one that, that picks up. So I'm not, I know this is not always happening, but I also really truly believe in my book and I am working towards building my newsletter and I am working, I'm doing more newsletter, newsletter swaps right now. I am also, um, I ran some Facebook ads for it and I had a great CPC, uh, cost per click. That was very, very low. And so it, it is, it is working, but there are a few things that maybe I was expecting or hoping for that did not happen. And again, it's all about expectations. And I talked a little bit about that last week. So I think maybe that was like the hardest part about self-publication for this particular book is to manage my expectations. And that doesn't mean to not hope for the best, but also realizing what the goals for this books are. And I'm hitting my goals for this book. I am hitting all my goals for this book. And so even though a little part of me, a little voice in my head was like, oh, maybe that's the one you're going to get up tomorrow morning and you're going to have millions, millions of pages read, or you're going to have you know, people talking about it and it's going to go viral in like in reader circles. I don't need my book to go viral like on TV or anything. <laughs> I mean, it'd be great, but maybe, you know, I'm going to get a phone call from, and as I said last week, like Reese Witherspoon is going to call me. <laughs> like all those things. And I think maybe that was one of the one of the hardest thing again is managing expectations. Thank you again, Sam, for asking that question. There was also a question about um, who is my favorite character. And I don't have one. Their voices are all very different. As I was writing it, Sokka and Ryan were, of course, my favorite ones because it's 
easier to be writing about your favorite ones. And now as I'm plotting Aisling and her love interests um, story, I am already like, I <laughs> am already loving them. And he's turning out to be different than what I thought he might be. So yeah, it's um, it's fun. It's actually very fun. I'm trying to figure out a few a few things because I like the comedy part of it for Aisling, and I don't have a name for him yet. It's been it's been bugging me, but I want like his name. I haven't come up with it yet. So right now he's just love interest. But once I have a bit more to share, I will. Let me just tell you that right now I'm like. As I'm plotting and I have the opening image and I'm still going through some of their character arcs and things like this. So I'm, I'm just thinking about what the opening image will be for the for the book. And he's cracking me up. Like he had, he had like I just wrote like a small paragraph just to get my creativity going and like think about okay okay if that's the case then what happens and like and taking notes about each character and basically just going through through the plotting but he's funny he's a bit grumpy I mean Ryan was also a bit grumpy I guess grumpy is a thing that's going to be a recurring theme but he's also very like his humor is kind of deadpan humor like I don't know it's just I'm having fun already, just plotting Sweets Fall Off. So, yeah. I mean, favorite characters, too, in, in The Leftover Bride. I have a little weakness for Fluffy Napoleon and Tiramisu. Because I based them on Bobby Voltaire, the cat, and Plato, the dog. So, <laughs> there is that. And otherwise, nothing... In terms of what we're currently watching, we're still watching the same as I've mentioned last week. And we started watching Why? I forgot the name. The Last Man, I think it's called. Why The Last Man? And we also started watching The Handsmaid's Tale. So the last season, which we had not watched yet. So that's that's something we started watching. And so next week, I'll be talking about the French translation of The Leftover Bride. And... I will be talking about what I'm currently doing for that French translation and the process that is ongoing also when it comes to marketing and everything else. The pre-order right now of the French version of The Leftover Bride is 1039 in Kindle, like on Amazon, and the ranking. It's currently 1039 in the entire Kindle store in France. And my return of inv on investment for my pre-order ad right now is pretty good. So I'll be I'll be explaining a little bit of that. I also tell you why I put the I've always done that. I put the name of the translator on my cover. Um, right now it's more of an editor than a translator but her name will still be on the cover. And I've done that for all my books. The only time I have not done that is when the translator, um, when I asked the translator and the translator said she'd rather not, not because of, she didn't want her name on the, on the cover because she was not proud of the book because she actually helped me, she actually helped me promote it in that particular country. 
but because in terms of aesthetic, she didn't think that it was working very well for the cover. But otherwise, it's it's always something that I do, and it's it's very very important because translators in any country or any language that they work at, I mean, they not only have to translate the word, they also have to translate the voice, and they also have to make sure that the work is understood by. It's it's just it's translation is really an art. So yeah, so I'll. I'll explain a bit more about that, what I've done for previous books, what I'm currently doing for this one. And if you have any questions about that particular topic, about translation, what has worked for me, what hasn't worked for me, don't hesitate to either send me an email and you can send me an email at author elodinovodatsky at gmail.com. Novodatsky is N-O-W-O-D as dog A-Z-K-I-J. You can also ask me a question on, you can also send me a message on Instagram or um, Instagram. You can find me at Inovodatsky or you can also find me at a self-published author's diary. Or you can also record a question and then you, I can play your question on my podcast. And I will put the link in this episode description as well as on my blog. As always, if you would like to read The Leftover Bride, it's currently available on Amazon. It's in Kindle Unlimited. And I think in two weeks, I will talk a little bit about what I'm going to do different in terms of marketing and release for the next book in the series, what I've learned basically for this from this particular release. And it's also on paperback and on paperback, it's available on Amazon so yeah so this is it for today thank you so much for listening as always and in addition to grabbing a copy of the leftover bride don't hesitate to rate and review and share this podcast with whomever you think might be interested that's really helpful and yeah i'll talk to you next week so happy if you're a writer happy happy writing and to everybody happy reading <laughs>